This is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. We want to welcome with tons of love, appreciation, and respect anybody who, like us, is from an S-hole country. We welcome you. We embrace you. We love you. Welcome to Arab Talk in honor of all S-hole countries. And so if you are from one of those countries, please write us. You write can us, tell us. text us or tweet us. Uh, we actually were talking last week about all the racist remarks that Trump and his cohorts uh, have been uh, engaged in, and we missed this because... It happened just after the show. No, no, it actually happened during the show. Oh, during the so show. So during the show, we were talking about different things, and we are going to, to talk about many topics, including a very, very important bill which was passed today, just we'll come back to it. The NSA, you know, yeah. The NSA, and of course, Congress has approved a new bill to listen to conversations of Americans and believe it or not, I think almost one third of those who voted for it are from the Democratic Party. So we'll we'll come back yeah, to we'll come to, to to discuss this because it has some good points. Yes, and I know you're going to be surprised when I tell you it actually has some. We're, we got a lot to cover it today. It has some Jamal. good points, but back to the topic, and and this is something that is very important that uh, we should be talking about just which is. Uh, Trump's comment about not wanting immigrants from the S-hole countries, we cannot use the word he used, even though he is the president of the free world, right, Just He uses no, that word. and he, He's it, the president of his world. And it has been used on CNN, Fox News, whatever, but we are actually we, being we told cannot. here we, we, cannot. we might get fined if we use the word right on yes, the air. We, we got a so consultation we'll just on refer that. to it as the S-hole uh, in, uh, countries, which he um, basically, of course, he later on unpersuasively denied saying it, but he, uh, with so many witnesses, they've uh, mentioned that he was discussing with lawmakers under what conditions temporary protected status for immigrants from El Salvador, Haiti, and Honduras might be renewed. This was the topic when he talked about this. You know, just to remind our listeners about some major stats, because, you know, he was referring to these people. But wait a minute, statistics don't matter, Jamal. Well, to Trump, they don't matter. But they do matter. They do matter for us here. And people can go online and you have statistics from all type of sources, which basically says not only his comment was offensive, but also ignorant because actually immigrants from these countries, specifically Haiti, Africa, perform extremely well in the United States. And I'm talking perform extremely well, not only financially, but education-wise. That's right. There are, in fact, more college graduates from these countries than native-born Americans. Well, the percentage of people from Africa with advanced postgraduate degrees, that percentage, Jamal, far exceeds the percentage of the general population in the United States, by far, by far. And if you include the Arab world and Middle East, that percentage goes up even more. So you're exactly right. The, the flagrant ignorance uh, of the statistic is, well, you know, it's not just ignorant. We know it's, it's flat out racist belief that brown and black people are inferior. Let's just cut to the chase, Jamal. Yeah, and, and he, he wants people from Norway to come to Nor- the. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, the, by the way, the breaking news from Norway: Norwegians don't want to come here. They don't want to come here. No, they. They. It was actually quite funny because one of the one of the news uh, groups went to Norway, spoke with Norwegians, and they basically said, "H no, heck no. There's no way we want to come to the United States. Why?" Education is free in Norway. That's right. Healthcare, single-payer healthcare, healthcare is free. 
There's little to no unemployment. There's little to no national debt. And, and most Norwegians will tell you why would, they want, why, why would they want to even come to this country, especially in the current state of affairs. In fact, if you look at immigration numbers, more people are leaving the United States for Nor- to Norway than are coming from Norway to the United States. Well, I mean, there is, uh, of course, the education factor, but also what you refer to because he thinks all these people coming here – not only, you know, they're not going to perform well in this country, they, they are going to be, be the, below the poverty line, they're, they are going to be dependent on on the state. So what they have, and I want to refer to uh, one which is, uh, y- you know, based on the average personal income yeah. uh, among immigrants from uh, these countries. The right? S-hole countries. Yeah, the S-hole countries that he referred to. And... Uh, there, there are statistics showing you, you know, poverty rate among Americans versus these people who come, for, or poverty rate amongst the immigrants. There is no comparison whatsoever. Uh, I know. You know, if you look, if you look, there are so many charts showing you uh, and giving you examples as far as their earning potential, the earning potential for these immigrants is a minimum of a different a difference of $12,000 per person and this is based on a study wow. from 2011 to 2015 and it's based on the US poverty line you know um, how far are they from the poverty line so the average immigrant from these countries close about 55% of the income gap between the typical US worker and their home basically in three years. Wow. In three years. That's amazing. Then education-wise, education-wise, it's not even close. Not even close. It's not even no, close. I, 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 can, I mean, anybody knows that who, who kind of has their eyes half wide open, Jamal, knows that these individuals who come from these countries, these amazing, beautiful countries, and people come here for lots of reasons, obviously. It's it's incorrect the way it was depicted because people have many complex personal reasons why they, they immigrate here. But the educational level uh, far exceeds the average educational level of, of people who are non-immigrants. We've known that for decades. And if you see, for example, in the United States, we have a physician shortage. We have a doctor shortage in this country. Right. And many, if not most, of the physicians that are coming to fill that gap from other countries are coming from the asshole countries. So your doctor, there's a good chance that your doctor is coming from an asshole country. And back to the uh, Scandinavian countries or Norwegians, and this is, again, this is the ignorance that this president has. You know, the truth is that Scandinavians, this is not... Uh, Norway, they actually earn more money after tax than Americans. Than Americans by far, and and this is calculated not just on the earning, but how much they keep. For example, national health, universal health plan. Yeah, single uh, pair. They have a single pair. Every plan. every single Norwegian has health insurance, and every single Norwegian has free education, and they have free education all yeah. the way all the way through. So I don't see them lining, you know, <laughs> up at, to come here to, to come pay, here to pay. <laughs> Back in the 1800s, when Norway was impoverished, and you know, immigration rates to the United States were, you know, somewhat Higher. somewhat high. Uh, so it took three or more generations for Norwegian incomes to converge to American norms. But today, nobody complains about the uh, about the economically backward peasant stock of Norway with their foreign Lutheran customs like uh, whatever. Who knows? Anyway, but they, they but you know. But th- there's one thing that also we need to say to uh, the, the Trump administration about this, by the way. Immigrant communities in the United States, Jamal, by far and in general and on average, pay more taxes than non-immigrant communities for, for lots of reasons. If you just look at the ways in which that they contribute to the tax base of this country. This this also gets to the whole kind of DACA debate and the Dreamer debate. You have these 800,000 uh, uh, Latino individuals 
who are on this temporary status right now that the that our that our legislature and our and our the Senate and the House and the Republicans and uh, Trump are unable to to find a fix for these 800,000 amazing human beings who work, who go to school, who pay taxes, who contribute to the GDP in these amazing ways. 97% of the dreamers for example either work and or go to school. That show me any other segment of the US population where 97% of a community is either working or going to school. That's really extraordinary. Well, I guess this segment doesn't exist in the Trump Tower. In the Trump Tower. Now, before we go on uh, Arab Talk, we have a lot to talk about today, Jamal, as you know, but we should talk about the Arab Talk Hypocrisy Awards. This is coming after this. Oh, after we have, okay. Yeah, yeah because we do have the Arab Talk Hypocrisy Awards. This is a, a, a new story. Actually, oh, okay. Today. What do you, yeah, what do you got? Well, you know, as you know, the Senate passed a bill to renew the controversial NSA spying powers. That's right. And you so, think there's good things here? So, yeah. So the Senate today has voted to reauthorize a controversial legal authority that enables vast government surveillance programs, including spying operations used by the NSA. The bill was passed 65 to 34 and now moves to President Trump's desk. He'll sign it, I'm sure. Yeah, he's expected to sign it into law. So this is a done deal. So earlier this week, a group of senators threatened to filibuster the bill, but lawmakers cleared a 60-vote hurdle earlier this week that allowed them to block the attempt. So let's learn a little bit about the bill, because I found some good things in it. <laughs> Believe it I'm or all, not. I'm all ears, man. I'm so, all ears. So the bill allows for continued spying. Number one. Is that the good news? Spying existed before and, and continues. This is not something new. This is a renewal. We've been, we've been meaning many Americans or m American groups, minorities, etc. They've been spied on uh, way before, since 9-11, since before the Patriot Act, but actually, you know, with the Patriot Act, Patriot Act 1, Patriot Act 2, and so forth. But this bill, which passed 65 to 35, uh, 34, basically, uh, you know, allows for continued spying operations under uh, Section 702. So to be specific about the, the law of uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. FISA. Yeah. So this is uh, so critics charge that the bill, which re renews 702 uh, or, or 702 and powers a national security agency spying is nominally for foreign targets, but allows the government to sweep up American communications with few safeguards. So that's right. All your telephone calls, your communications, uh, not only phones, Skype, uh, FaceTime, email, email, you name it. They have the carte blanche yeah. to listen to your conversation or your com communication. So, so apart from allowing the continuation of uh, spying operations, which I want to remind our listens, uh, listeners that uh, this has been ongoing now for, for many years. I'm uh, waiting for the good news, Jamal. You know, I'm giving you all the good and the bad and the ugly. The critics have raised concerns about the bill. Also, it creates a path for the government to resume uh, to resume the, the surveillance. But also, they have a system for collecting data that mentions a surveillance target and so forth. Now, here is the here we'll talk about the good news. Okay. The good news, and, and this is something very important, and because you can actually try to find, to look at the, the, the bill, which is 702, and it's a long, it has all these long provisions, but it talks about a very important provision, which is supposedly, if, you know, it gives them the carte blanche to spy on... Right foreigners in this country, uh, tourists, people who are suspected to be spies and so forth. But there is a provision for foreign agents. Oh, really? Yeah. So there is a provision if the government suspects that you are a foreign 
agent under yeah. under this provision, Jess, which you know, I raise my hand to say, don't go that, f- don't go too far from Washington D.C. <laughs> Washington D.C. <laughs> is crawling with foreign agents. It's true. And start by Jared Kushner. And Number that's one. where I'm going to make you very happy. I'm very happy to hear that. Start, if you want to talk about foreign agents, don't go too far from the White House. Well, actually, in the Oval Office. And start with Jared Kushner, then move a little bit down the street, around K and other, other streets there. To APAC. And to APAC. Right. Go to APAC and talk to me about foreign agents. So, so this is, for me... The good news. Well, I think if they were, if they are yeah. going to apply this and spy on Americans under the pretext, but then you know that they are spies in this country, I think they should focus on the foreign agent component, and and many of those and many Americans and many of those lobbyists in Washington, the Washington D.C. should be registered as foreign agents. Well, I think that's. Um I think that's uh, really an interesting point, Jamal. And just to push the whole point with uh, Jared Kushner, we're not really making a joke about this. At least I'm not. Uh, I think that based on the reporting that we've done here at Arab Talk, Jared Kushner, who's he himself individually and his family have consistently been uh, sending money and supporting illegal colonial settlements in Palestine for many decades now, the same Jared Kushner where uh, the Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has a personal relationship with uh, Jared Kushner and his family. They stayed at the Kushner house. The Kushners have uh, these kinds of relationships with the government of Israel such that, as we reported last week, Jamal, the Kushner family received a $30 million loan from an Israeli bank for... Uh, their their family investments, and this is somebody who's working in the White House as a senior political advisor to the President of the United States. That not only smells like a foreign agent, it looks like a foreign agent, it sounds like a foreign agent, and it walks like a foreign agent. So let's, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be too surprised if Jared Kushner's phone was already being monitored by the FISA, uh, FISA law right now. Yeah, and so, so, you know, like I said, this is the glimmer of hope within this. Of course, we are against uh, spying on Americans, listening, to, you know, violating people's uh, First Amendment and so forth. Which but is if, privacy rights. Which, but if they're going to use it... They might as well use it. You right? Use it properly... And identify all these foreign agents who are mostly in the D.C. area and other and, and other places, and uh, that's what I thought. This was actually a, a big news uh, for for the day. Uh, you know, of course, the critics, and we are part of the critics who think that this will trample on. I'm sorry, on Fourth Amendment uh, yeah, protections. Fourth Amendment. First sure. Amendment, yeah, Fourth Amendment protections for Americans. Uh, of course, know, it will. Because the law requires that targets of um, this bill, se- uh, s- uh, Section 7, uh, 702, must be foreign citizens outside the United States. So they're making an exception. Those targets, now they're targeting also Americans. Sure. You know, that's where that's the, the issue with the, f- well, the Fourth uh, Amendment. Yeah, and listen, and we've said this many times, Jamal, I mean— All of us need to have the expectation, whether or not we like it or not, that our communications are being monitored. I mean, to assume in the modern era that any form of digital communication isn't being monitored, even if it isn't, but the presumption that it's being monitored must be made all the time. I know that's the presumption that I always have, and it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, uh, at any time, there is a presumption that there's always the possibility that a digital communication can be monitored. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't presume that I'm going to have any of those uh, Fourth Amendment privacy rights. Um, but we're going to be critical of the FISA amendment, of course, as we should. Now, whether or not they're actually going to use that to look at all of the foreign agents that are crawling all over. Uh, Washington, D.C., on, on, on J Street, all the way to K Street, and 
all the way to Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, we shall see. Switching gears here, uh, but first, you are listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM, and we also welcome to welcome our listeners and those who are watching the show on Facebook Live. Facebook Live on Jamal Dejani 2. You can watch us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook Live. I, I want to comment a little bit. I, I think, Jamal, that I want to change my doctor. Okay. Yeah, and I'm going to recommend that you and I both get new doctors because the president's uh, doctor, uh, President you know, Trump had a, f- a complete physical examination. This is an individual, Jamal, who never exercises, uh, sleeps basically three or four hours a night, eats McDonald's cheeseburgers in bed at night and uh, most likely has a pretty high stress level. He is uh, obese or one pound shy of obese. But he, he weighs for six foot three. He said, they two, said uh, 239. 239. They I'm said, willing to, be, to I'll bet. I'll bet anything. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll bet I'll, anything. I'll make a challenge. I'll make a challenge. You and I will make it together. And my challenge would be to President Trump Get on a scale. Get on a scale. And if you are 239, 100 grand. (laughs) (laughs) 100 grand. We'll find some way to get you the money. He's 239. He's not. uh, Of course. Here's the other thing. His cholesterol is uh, elevated despite being on anti-cholesterol medications. His calcium level in his coronary arteries has gone from a level of 6 to 133 in less than two years. And as I said, this is, a, this is someone who eats junk food, uh, doesn't exercise. And this Dr. Jamal said and had the audacity to say that the president of the United States is in excellent, excellent health. Well, I, w- I would like to be in excellent health too, but I can guarantee you that most doctors, if you go see your doctor, and you are that overweight, and your cholesterol has gone up that dramatically in two years, that you don't exercise, that you don't sleep, and you eat junk food, no doctor's going to certify you that you are in excellent, excellent health. Well, so you know, you know better, but I'm you just know saying, more. Th- this is outrageous. This it's, is it's outra- really it's outrageous. another lie. It's another lie. So even even when it comes to health, there also his health. Yes, lying. They they they've actually. Convert. I mean, this doctor. This is the sad thing about it. He's been no. He's a good doctor in the White House for many years. He's no. not like a, he was Obama's a, doctor. He was too. Obama's doctor to come and say lie about his weight, lie about his condition, just to make him look good. It's 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 a terrible thing. By the way, if you really want to dig deep into it, because there was this whole thing that he had this screen, this Montreal screen for signs of early dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. Um, that test is not the best test in the world for, by any stretch of the imagination. You can be almost in a coma and get a perfect score on that <laughs> test. So to say that uh, Donald Trump scored perfectly on the Montreal screen doesn't really tell us that much. And interestingly, this may be uh, why uh, he is a little worried about Alzheimer's. Donald Trump's uh, father actually had Alzheimer's, passed away from Alzheimer's. So, you know, there is the genetic influence. So. I switching think gears. Switching gears. We want to. A couple of things. Yeah, I what wanna, do you got? I want to go, uh, you know, of course, we have to talk about Palestine. We are going to talk about Palestine. And uh, what's going on there. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know the latest update uh, with uh, Ahed Tamimi, the 16 year old. She went to court uh, this she week. She went to court, and the Israeli military court ruled to keep her in prison until her next hearing on January 31st, which actually will take place on her 17th birthday. birthday. Do you know why they did that? So, so every time she appears in front of the judge, in, in, most, cases, in most cases that I know of, and I'm not an attorney, uh, this type of the so-called assault, you're out on, on bail. And she has a lawyer... And they're willing to post bail and all these things. So every time they drag her back into court in her uh, jail jumpsuit or, you know, whatever, handcuffed. And they say, well, we'll see you in two weeks. 
Yeah, and Jamal, what was really kind of disgusting in so many ways and, and really tragic about this young 16-year-old heroic uh, Palestinian uh, young woman is that they brought in the two Israeli soldiers that she, and we, quote, assaulted. I should, I should just also say that you, you had a conversation with one of her attorneys. Yeah, we're going to get an interview with one of Ahed Tamimi's uh, and, attorneys. And, and her attorneys, you know, we will be able to talk to him right here on Arab Talk. Yeah, but hopefully in a couple of weeks, yeah. But, you know, you have these Israeli soldiers, uh, Jamal, who are fully armored up, fully geared up with M16s, with all this ammunition, with bulletproof vests, with helmets, who actually had the audacity to come into court and testify that they feel threatened by Ahed Tamimi if she were to be released. So part of the bringing her into court was because she, according to the judge, Jamal, she she poses a threat, a security threat to the state of Israel. So a 16-year-old a Palestinian young woman poses a threat to the among the most powerful uh, militaries uh, in the world. That's quite a statement. Yeah, and and you said they brought her the two soldiers to testify. Imagine taking the testimony from two soldiers saying that they felt threatened <laughs> by her. Yeah, well, you know, in some ways they probably do feel threatened because you have an individual with so much um, integrity, with so much moral clarity, with so much, uh, you know, clearly the the weight of historical justice being on Ahed Tamimi's side, standing up to the brute force of an apartheid regime and the brute force of an apartheid army, that the Israeli military are not uh, used to having such a strong uh, response and you know and of, of course it fights all the stereotypes that the Israelis uh, and you know our current uh, government administration have about Palestinians. She's obviously incredibly bright, incredibly strong, incredibly fearless when it comes to these things. She's not a passive uh, wallflower. I mean, I don't know any Palestinian women that are passive wallflowers, anyways, Jamal. But this is a truly heroic young woman who is standing up against the full force and weight of one of the most brutal military regimes in the world. And the campaign, you know, basically to keep the pressure on Israel to free free her is still yeah, ongoing. Yeah, free Ahad, free Ahad. And Which leads us, Jamal, to the the Arab Talk Hypocrisy Awards. Ah, okay. So you want to go into this now? Yes, I'm sorry, because we have periodically on Arab Talk, uh, Jamal, we... We talk about the awards for the most hypocrisy being uttered by an individual. And we have two awardees today. I'll take the first one. You can take the second one. They are very close together in so many ways. First place, tied for first place for hypocrisy, is the prime minister of the state of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's on a two-week tour of India who is trying to sell military and technology, military technology and regular technology to India, more cooperation, which is deeply disturbing on many levels. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu announced in one of his press conferences his commitment and love and appreciation for (laughs) Gandhi as a profound moral leader of the world. So, with a straight face? With a straight face, without smirking, as he's known to do. So for Benjamin Netanyahu to celebrate the life of Gandhi, who himself was critical of, of, of the formation of the state of Israel in his, in, in his own way. And apartheid. And apartheid. And, you know, was, Gandhi was committed to, you know, was an anti-occupation you know, uh, uh, activists, you know, in terms of his ability to rid India of the, the occupation, the British occupation, it's just so painfully insulting to every single Indian, every single person who believed in what Gandhi did in this world to have the 
prime minister of this apartheid state celebrating the life of Gandhi, I have to give Benjamin Netanyahu first place. And, for, the, and the runner-up. And who is the runner-up, Jamal? The runner-up is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley, the U.S. Uh, representative at the United Nations, who in, I think, back last summer, June or July, went to the Dehesha refugee camp. She did. In Palestine. And, you know, you can go to her uh, Twitter page and she posed with young Palestinian uh, female refugees. And she's the advocate to cut the funding for the UNRWA, and which they've actually done, done yeah. by 50 percent. Yes. So she definitely that's a close earns, sec- earns, earns the runner up, I would call it. Yeah, I think Nikki uh, Haley. Taking a selfie with a Palestinian refugee uh, uh, women in the Haitian camp and at the same time cutting the UNRWA budget by 50 percent, which is the, the main agency of the United Nations that is dedicated to supporting uh, the refugees in the West Bank and in Gaza. That's a pretty close second, if you ask me, uh, Jamal, in terms of... Uh, the hypocrisy awards. So we sh- we were saying we should go back, you know, to Palestine because a couple of uh, yeah, there's a couple of important things uh, having uh, to do with important Palestine. Important because yeah, this uh, week actually a couple of days ago, uh, the um, w- uh, you know the Palestinian Authority um, and um, the PLO, not not just the Palestinian their leadership Authority and their leadership council. Uh, they've had a two-day central council meeting uh, of the Palestine Liberation Organization in Ramallah. And President Mahmoud Abbas, for the first time, I would say, made a very strong and courageous remarks. And at, at some point, he was very honest in his assessment and humorous, funny, if Abu Mazen was uh, funny. He was very funny. He's not a funny guy. Actually, I watched an hour and a half or two hours. was very funny in, you know, in the way he has sharply criticized Donald Trump, you know, and criticized the, uh, the role of the United States being the so-called honest broker. And the PLO meeting in Ramallah you know, came up with, with certain decisions in, and, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to paraphrase some of the things that he said, which is uh, very important. But basically, he said that Oslo is dead. Uh, that's not breaking news. We've been talking about being dead for decades, Jamal. Well, it took 24 years. Uh, and, and that's why some we, of those who criticize me, they say, well, you're too harsh on Abu Mazen. You're too harsh on Mahmoud Abbas. I'm starting by the praise because it took him 24 years just, but at least for the very first time when I listened to him, everything he said was true. Almost everything that Almost. he said. He went through, of course, the whole history of Zionism, but then he actually reflected on the failed negotiations. He, view, he used, uh, you know, I can paraphrase some of the Arabic translations. You know, he said, like, uh, for example, there is a, a well-known thing actually quoted from the, the Prophet Muhammad, which says uh, that a believer doesn't get stung from the same hole twice. <laughs> and this is uh, something that the believer doesn't get stung from the same hole twice. And Abu Mazen said, well, we got stung a hundred times. <laughs> so finally, after hundreds of times after being stung, time, he, he has realized that that route is... Uh, you know, going nowhere. Okay, but you give him praise. I could see the praise, Jamal, but he has caused so much damage. But but I think it's very important because now we are coming at a crossroad in the decision, the whole decision-making. A, the Palestinians, be it the PLO or others, will never, ever trust the United States because of Donald Trump. They will never, ever trust the United States as a broker. It doesn't mean that the United States cannot participate in any of the future talks, but it could be in a combination like the quartet uh, or like Iran, four plus one, five plus one, whatever uh, formula. But definitely 
they will not sit in uh, you know in a negotiation room with the presence only of the representative from the United States only and 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 that's a major transition ending the Oslo agreement ending coordination with Israel ending the recognition of Israel ending the recognition of Israel yeah which is a big deal and you know i mean i i think this is for the very first time such a statement has been made but jamal isn't it true that it hasn't been voted on yet that these are just proposals yeah, right but, you know it hasn't yeah but this is you still think it's a big he deal he is the chairman he is the president and this is the direction the direction that will take you know, from now on, at least the position of Mahmoud Abbas, the position of the PLO. And the PA. And, and the PA. And because it really, and I'm taking us back to Oslo. Oslo was the biggest dose of morphine that the Palestinians received. Put everyone to sleep for 24 years, drinking the cool aid of Israel, the United States, raising everyone's hopes that peace is only around the corner, your state is around the corner. At least, for me, it brings realism to the average Palestinian, especially the Palestinians who have endured, yeah, who have uh, endured. I, I, I want to be a little more negative than you, Jamal, because, first of all, I don't think we should say all Palestinians drank the Kool-Aid. This was the Palestinian leadership. And, you know, they were warned. They were warned by many people. They were warned by, you know, uh, the late, great Edward Said at the time, among others, who said, who actually read the deal, unfortunately, when Oslo was around, who were categorically warning the United, who were categorically warning the Palestinians, Yasser Arafat at the time, Abu Mazen at the time, all of the people who were part of the, the, the PLO at the time, that this was a terrible deal not to trust Israel or the United States as an honest broker, and they were warned. And yet they went through with it anyways. And every single step of the way, to use the saying, they went to the hole and they got stung. Well, at least <laughs> Mr. Abbas, 82 years old, he finally admitted he made a mistake. He made a mistake, and he got stung a hundred times. So I think that was a very strong message. Uh, there is a, a question that we have here, and we do, I don't want to ignore, uh, you know, f uh, our uh, viewers on Facebook, but, but we also have some questions. Those who have been tweeting us on Twitter, yeah, you know, the Twitter Arab Talk, or you can or you can tweet me also uh, at Jamal Dejani. Uh, we have a question uh, which says, uh, just do you? As an American citizen, consider any human being under 18 years a young woman, or would you call her a child? A person under 18 is under the wings of their parents, so why not call her as she is a child? Wow, that's really a great question, and um, excellent question, and I'll, I'll tell you my struggle about that. Legally, of course, Ahed Tamimi, because that's who you're referring to, of course is a child. I mean, legally... Under the age of 18, you, you, you don't have the age of consent, you know, in most regards. You are a child. But the reason out of respect I refer to her as a young woman because of her courage under the face of tremendous adversity, Jamal. So it's, it's kind of my way of giving her tremendous respect uh, and acknowledgement that this young child, this young girl— this kind of growing into becoming a woman could be so courageous in the face of just, uh, you know, a brutality unlike anything most, you know, young children her age uh, anywhere else in the world have to go through. So that's that's why I use those words. It's it's really out of uh, respect for her and her family. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. And also she has grown. I mean, if you watch her activism it's amazing her active activism since she was what six six years old yeah that's truly and amazing it's way i mean this is you know when kids her age 
you know, girls or young boys, they're playing outside with toys and whatever. She this never is, had that this luxury. This is someone who went every day to confront the occupiers and to chase them away from her land. And, and which, by the way, I should mention, now her whole village is under military, military control. That's right. You know, it's and collective punishment. It's collective punishment, and they have they have arrested almost six members of her of her direct family, and, and not too many people talk about that the, exactly the collective punishment. Not only arresting her, arresting her mother, arresting her cousins, and and of course, almost you know, killing they, her they, cousin. They almost, uh, you know, killed her cousin, and and also they now put the entire village under with a checkpoint right under military that's siege. the collective punishment well let's look at the bigger picture jamal because we we have talked about the trump administration and the state department's attitude toward uh palestine obviously we know they cut the funding to UNRWA. they want to move the u.s embassy from tel aviv to uh, jerusalem all these horrific disrespectful debilitating uh things that they're doing to to kind of go against any kind of peaceful resolution. But the larger picture that we're not talking about is how the Israeli government and military are using the Trump administration's chaos right now and the chaos of the State Department and the inability of Rex Tillerson and the State Department to have any kind of you know, uh, uh, influence or power control uh, in terms of diplomacy. The Israelis are using this. They're having a heyday. They're 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 talking about uh, you know annexing and stealing more Palestinian land in the West Bank, Jamal. They have killed how many Palestinians in the last week from raids? They continue the siege on Gaza. I mean, let let's look at the way the Israelis have been using the chaos of the U.S. government and our foreign policy here as a cover to deepen their apartheid strategy, to deepen their military occupation, and to deepen their uh, destructive force in Palestine right now. I mean, you're not hearing or reading about that in the mainstream media right now, but things in Palestine, Jamal, have gotten much worse, much worse in Jerusalem, much, much worse. Homes are being uh, stolen. Palestinian homes are being stolen every day in Jerusalem. You have what's happening in the West Bank, obviously, in terms of increased settler colonial, illegal settler colonial outposts. And of course, Gaza is getting what? Three days of uh, power uh, 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 a week. So why are we not hearing about those things? It's because the Trump administration is in chaos, which gives the Israelis cover for their brutal activities. Well, also, uh, to be fair, this has been ongoing yeah. for so many years under Obama yes. and other presidents. Absolutely. It's like I said, you know, they talk about peace, but Israel is busy. The idea of peace, it's spelled with the P-I-E. A P I E C E yeah. It's taking another piece of land every single every single day and uh, you know at least you know taking us back to you know what the I have Palestinian though? authority I think it's good news in what they are going to be doing and hopefully hopefully this is not a message to calm the people down people have to have a wake-up call and realize that this whole Oslo agreement was just a big Charade. It was a charade. And can we just say it for the, how many times have we said this, Jamal, over the last 10 years, that the two-state solution is dead, is ridiculous, and is not, you know, even remotely possible? Can, can Abu Mazen finally come to that realization that we've been saying forever? I think he came to this realization. Yeah, there is no two-state solution. Basically, if Abu Mazen takes his comments seriously, where the Palestinians are headed is a fight for equal rights uh, in historic Palestine, which is a one-person, one-vote, anti-apartheid democratic state in historic Palestine. So that 
That's the direction, right? He, he just hasn't said it as clearly as we have. But that's clearly the direction that Palestine is headed in right now. You're absolutely right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. It is. And, um, you know, we, we have been... I think you're a little bit more optimistic about Abu Mazen's speech, Jamal, than I am. I, I, I totally get that you're giving him some props, that you're totally giving him some credit for, you know, him finally saying it. But there have been periods of time where Abu Mazen has said similar things, but because of the, you know, lack of political will and the kind of unfortunate state of uh, what's happening in the Palestinian leadership. You know, nothing ever materialized. So my question to you is, what do you think, if anything, will actually change starting next week? Well, I think it's it already changed. It's first the psych- psychological aspect. And then when we talk about Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, I'm also talking about the PLO, yes. which is the Palestine Liberation Organization. Yes. And so there is a main difference. I mean, you know, what he says, this is, it's not enough. It's really the action by the PLO and what position they are going to take. Uh, I think the whole idea of Oslo in his mind, Abu Mazen's mind, the PLO, the people who are around who are at least in the West Bank and Gaza, they now came to the full realization that they've wasted their time for 24 years. And business cannot continue as usual. This whole thing, coordination, in fact, if you see what happened, I don't know if this is related, I feel it is related. Yeah. Recently, one of a major, you know, they call him a rabbi, but he's a colonial settler, was attacked. There was an attack, you know. Now, who usually controls, who keeps the peace on the ground? Well, it's the Palestinian Authority security apparatus. Who who maintains the safety of of the settlers? The settlers, they had the carte blanche to steal the land, live happily ever after. And to be protected by the Palestinian security. Be protected, build their settlements, steal the water to to put in their swi- swimming, swi- pools. swimming pools, have their own private roads, and nobody is supposed to question them. I mean, I mean, this is, a, I think, something he said about the cost of the occupation. I'm going back to what he said. Yeah. Because we were talking about Israel is the only country in the world, not only it keeps an entire population under occupation in this 21st century, but also doesn't spend a dime doing that. In, in fact, it profiteers. It does. It, you know, it gets it money profits. from the United States, etc. No, no, but there is a whole profiteering business. Of course. Dumping all its lousy products on the Palestinians to, of course. to, to buy, collecting taxes, all these things not fixing their roads, not providing health care to the people in the West Bank. And, and he actually talked about that. We're not going to allow this to happen. So I hope he's so, true because... You know, this, this is for me. And the other thing actually he talked about, he talk about, talked about peaceful resistance, which we've been talking about it. That's you know. what we believe in. It's, it's, it's uh, civil disobedience, peaceful resistance, in fact, the Palestinian Authority security, they used to intervene whenever they had a demonstration in front of a checkpoint, wherever. They used to disperse the crowd using uh, water and, 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 and gas and, and, and other things that they were trained in by the Canadians and by the United States how to disperse. That's right. This is what you, you've created. So if you're not going to have, you call the PLO, the PLO, the L is for liberation. You remove the whole liberation aspect, and then you become what? Just basically a security, a security apparatus. apparatus, a security police. That's just, basically just what to, they've become. Just to control the crowd. So if now they go there, and you know, he said we encourage peaceful resistance and peaceful resistance, 
which was which started the whole uh, thing in the first intifada and brought the the whole Oslo and and the PA as a result of it. Go back to that those days. Let the world see what Israel is doing. Let's let's make this a fight for equal rights and let's spend resources. Absolutely. You know the money that the 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 that the PL that the PA raises, for example. You know, most of it goes to security. Most of it goes to to rebuild the infrastructure for Palestinians. Like after roads, the Israelis have de- after destroyed the Israelis it. destroyed. No, it's their responsibility to fix the roads. That's right. And let them bear the cost. And and I think this is an important transition. This by itself, you know, we can sit and criticize, and God knows how how many things we can say as far as criticizing those past 24 years. So I'm looking a little bit, you're talking about the optimism, I'm looking a little bit forward to see maybe we can return to day one of the first intifada and roll the clocks back because that's the only way do we have nuclear weapons and no. F-16s but and you whatever? Know what, you know what weapon we do have, Jamal? We have hundreds of thousands of Ahed Tamimis. And I will take an Ahed Tamimi over any military weapon any time of day. And when I think about being optimistic about Palestine and the future of a free, democratic, and dignified Palestine, I think of Ahed Tamimi. Well, thank you for joining us today on Arab Talk, everybody. We really appreciate it. You know, you could send us your comments via Facebook Live, Jamal Dajani too. You could send us comments uh, via Twitter at Arab Talk. And you could certainly send us emails to ArabTalk at kpoo.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.